for this passage of scripture um, and studying for this sermon and taking notes, I found something very interesting that I wanted to share with you this morning. Did you know that the singing of Christmas carols as we know them today was abolished and banned in England by the Puritan Parliament in 1649? They were prison, imprisoning people and killing them for singing songs to Christ in the late 1600s. It was under the leadership of the famous Oliver Cromwell that this was done. And as a result of the Parliament's ruling, Christmas hymns and carols were scarce between the late 17th and early 18th century in England. Now the man who penned the words, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, is none other than a man by the name of Charles Wesley. He was, one of the, he was one of the few people to write songs during that period that became popular wherever Christians gathered for Advent. Now, after Cromwell died, the monarchy was soon restored, and the decision to prohibit the singing of Christmas carols was abandoned. And this opened the doors to hymns around the world to be written to honor the birth of Jesus Christ. And they began to appear, and in my opinion, thank God that they continue to be a part of our lives today. Most people don't, don't like to listen to them because they're played over and over and over. But these specific songs come to us right out of scripture. So we should never ever discount a hymn that was written. Never ever discount a song that used to be sung from a book. They were written about our Savior. We should never discount the truth that is given to us. Now, in 1872, the Church of England declared this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, as one of the four greatest hymns that was ever written in the English language. Now, I personally believe that it's one of the greatest musical treasures that the church has. Charles Wesley, if you do not know, is the brother of John Wesley, the founders of the Methodist movement. Charles was a prolific hymn writer. He penned nearly 6,000 different hymns, and his brother, if you do not know John, was a fiery preacher who impacted thousands and thousands of lives for Christ's sake. Charles wrote this song, and another anointed preacher edited the lyrics just a bit. The original song was Hark How the Welkin Rings. Now that word welkin, if you do not know, means vault of heaven. Hark how the vault of heaven rings. Now the truth is, they knew that most people would have no idea what that word meant back then, let alone in the year 2021. But the thing is, is that this song never really had music to it. There was no tune that was written, it was just lyrics. It was not until about a hundred years later that there was a famous Jewish man by the name of Felix Mendelssohn who came to know Christ, who wrote music to this in honor of a man by the name of Johannes Gutenberg, the man who invented the printing press. There was a tune that was written in the late 1850s that has been associated with Hark the Herald Angel Sings. And so while Wesley's Carol of Christmas sat dormant for nearly a hundred years, the message of this song has been proclaimed for thousands of years. You see, this entire song centers on today's text. It was a moment in time when the whole sky was alive and the welkin was ringing the sky lit up to proclaim the greatest news ever. 
I want us to read in Luke chapter 2 for just a moment to see what the welkin was saying, what the vault of heaven was crying out. Let's start in verse number 8. And in the same region, now real quick, before I read this to you, I was quite tempted um, to bring up one of my favorite Christmas movies and allow Linus uh, to read this passage of Scripture. But he says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Most people say clothes. It was not swaddling clothes. These were pieces of material that Mary would have used to wrap around them. So throw out any image that you had as a child or any lie that was given to you in a Sunday school class. It's swaddling cloths. For unto us this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts, the welkin. And it says they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. With the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds to one another said, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. In verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and I pray right now, Lord, that we would lay aside any thoughts that we have, any preconceived notions that we have of this passage of Scripture. As one that is familiar with the Christmas season, God, I pray that you would help us to be moldable and pliable in this place as we dive into this passage of Scripture to learn something fresh and new from your word. Because your word is active. It is alive, God. It is fresh. It is new to us. So help us to see with open eyes this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. As we unwrap this song and unpack this text, I want us to not miss something very, very important this morning. That while the angels declared the glory of God and proclaimed the birth of Christ, it was the shepherds, the only ones who actually saw the angels, who took the message and began to proclaim it. And it says in the song, with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ the Lord is born in Bethlehem. As a church, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that God placed the glorious message of Christ's birth into the mouth of the most unlikely messengers. Most unlikely messengers. You see that the, like the angels, just like the shepherds, we today have a message and a mission. And we the most unlikely messengers must continue to proclaim the glorious gospel to all men everywhere. And so I want us to see this morning through this passage, through our song, the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. You know, as you read this text, 
I, I found something very intriguing to me that in verse number 8, it starts with the shepherds. And at the end, in verse number 18, it ends with the shepherds. This sort of book ends the story, and I don't believe that this is an accident, but I believe that it raises a question as to why shepherds. Why shepherds? God could have chosen any number of people to see the angels and to take the message, but he chose shepherds. Why did he do that, church? Well, because the good news of Christmas is that God loves the most unlovely and the lowest of people. Do you know that shepherds in that day were the lowest class in society? They, they were the ones who were unskilled or unlearned. They were even considered unclean. And because they worked with animals and they had to sleep to protect their animals, they would not even be allowed in the temple to worship God. They would have been asked to stay outside of the four walls. But their testimony would not even have been heard in a courtroom type setting. They were that low. If your son grew up to be a shepherd, he would have been considered a failure or a loser in that day. But church, in the midst of our mundane and mediocre lives, the glorious gospel message came bringing us good news. That would have been a great spot for an amen. In the midst of our mediocre and mundane lives, God allowed for the gospel message to come to us. The, the unlikely messengers to us. And while the world may label us with names, may call us bad things, the good news of, the, of Christmas is that God loves us. God loves us, church. The angel did not come so that he could announce God's judgment upon people, but God allowed the announcement to come through the angels of his miraculous and marvelous plan of grace and mercy and redemption for all people. He came to answer the problem of sin in the world. He sent a Savior, his Son, Jesus but I want us to think for just a moment of what all the angels had seen leading up to this. Hebrews 1 tells us, and again, when he brings in the first begotten into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Hebrews 1.6. Do you know that angels and humans are completely different beings? Um, little side note here, I'm going to mess with some people's theology for just a moment, as I typically do. Um, I want you to know, um, because angels and humans um, are different beings, when we die, we do not become angels. Uh, we do not become angels when we get to heaven. Um, God's word makes it very clear that there, there is the only thing that angels and humans have in common is that we were both created by God. That's the only thing that we have in common. That we were both perfect from the beginning as a part of creation. But there is a difference between angels and man. And it's something very particular that we must understand this morning. 
Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 that verily he took not on the nature of angels, but it says that Jesus took on the seed of Abraham, meaning that he took on our flesh, meaning that Jesus did not come to help angels. And that as glorious truth that this, this is should not make us as humans proud, but it should make us humble. This comparison enhances the benefit and even the honor by which Christ has favored us by putting on our flesh. He never did so much for angels. But it was necessary for us to know this because this was the remarkable remedy for man's ruin. It was the design of the Son of God that there should be some incomparable pledge of his love towards us. The fact that Christ was veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, speaks not to our worth, but to man's misery, but also to God's great mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy, meaning his mercy has no bounds or no limits. You know, angels sinned and they were condemned immediately. We sinned and God graciously sent his son so that God and sinners may be reconciled. Do you know Peter declared in in 1 Peter chapter 1 that this gracious act of God in the gospel is so precious that even the angels long to look upon it. But they can't have it. Unfallen angels understand experientially the righteousness and the holiness of God, but they have no experience with what it like, what it's like to have sinned and then been forgiven. They can't. If they sin, they're judged eternally. But God in the gospel is merciful only to mankind, the one who is able to take upon God's image. But you want to know what's so crazy about angels? Angels cannot be saved because they have no soul to be saved. But do you know when angels recognize how precious and significant the gospel is? They're not responding out of envy or question. They respond by worshiping. Sad, sad as I think about this. Angels were not created to be saved and yet when they understand the significance of the gospel, they worship. Man needed salvation And we rarely worship. We rarely worship. It's so sad that we're walking into a Christmas season to be able to celebrate the birth, the birth of our Savior. And we spend most of our lives complaining. We spend most of our lives not looking at the important things. We value stuff, gifts, presents, food, relationships more than we, we value the, the opportunity to, to worship our Savior. Hark the Herald Angel Sings was a song that was not only written to tell us that there was a message that needed to go forth. It was written... And in what I believe to be the second thing we need to see this morning. And I'm going to point right to the words of the song, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. 
The second thing I need us to see this morning is the great joy of Jesus. The great joy of Jesus. Do you know more than good news? There was great joy. Joy is not found wrapped in a present that is underneath your Christmas tree. It is not found in a Christmas bonus that comes to you. It is not going to be found in something that you can produce yourself or something that you can purchase. But the joy that the world is seeking is not going to last. But joy is never found in human presence, but only in the heavenly gift of God's Son. You know, I've always been bothered um, by the, the trend uh, that started several years ago uh, where they started printing on t-shirts and bracelets and necklaces and, and little pins and, and ornaments and car stickers that said, Jesus is the reason for the season. You guys, you guys ever seen those before? Jesus is the reason for the season. And every time I saw it, I, I became very agitated and, and I get why people say Jesus is the reason for the season. But in my opinion, I believe that it's really weak. It's really weak. Why? Because Jesus should not just be the joy of this season, but our entire life. The entire life. God did not come and send his son to the earth to rescue us so that we could have joy one day a year. He came so that we could have joy for all of eternity. Jesus, church, is not seasonal joy. He's eternal joy. Jesus is not seasonal joy. I want you to write it down. It's not on the screen, but write it down. Highlight it. Jesus is not seasonal joy, church. He's not here for just that one moment. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, these things have I spoken unto you, that you may have my joy, and it might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. As we read this song you see a moment in time when the word says reconcile. It means to bring back to a full state of harmony. You know what, church? Christmas is God moving towards man. Christmas is God moving towards man. Do you know that he could have retaliated? But retaliation destroys relationships. But God moved to reconcile with man. The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And in Luke chapter 2 verse number 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. God made the move towards man, which is why I love, love, love what Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 5 when he said that God displayed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't stop there. He says, much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And for if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled by God, by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But Paul didn't stop there. He says, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. There was great joy in the sacrifice that was made that first Christmas night. 
God fulfilled a promise and made it possible for us to experience everlasting joy. Do you know, and because of that promise, eternal and everlasting joy becomes our reality the moment that we accept God's greatest gift, salvation. As the shepherds left that incredible moment, they made their way to the manger. We often think of mangers as these small little rickety buildings. Do you know a manger would have been something of a cutout in the side of a cliffside? It would have been dirty. A place where animals stayed. They made their way to this manger and they they saw the Son of God laying there. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. This newborn is God's own son and God's own self. And for the shepherds to see Christ in the humility of humanity, to see Christ in the fragility of infancy in just that one moment of time, to see him in the lowliness of a manger is to see the peculiar to, to see the peculiar glory of God himself. In that moment he was among us. He was with us not by obligation, but he willingly chose. I was listening to a song on my, on my way here to church this morning with my children and just listening to our kids sing out how many kings have left their throne. How many kings would give all of it up? None. None but the Messiah. My kids were singing so loudly, almost obnoxiously loud on the way here. And it makes my wife and I laugh hysterically at the times where they try to mimic the different things that they do in this song. But there was a moment that they were singing something so precious. Church, how many kings do you know would would give up perfection? How many kings do you know would give up being with God himself to come here to mess after mess after wreck after wreck not out of obligation but because he loved us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Christ died for you. Put your name in there. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for Joshua Sean Gale. Christmas is proof of that promise fulfilled in Jesus. But, but, but it gives us hope of a greater future for mankind. I love, as the song goes on to say, the marvels of sacrifice and the mission that God's Son came. In humility, He laid aside all of heaven, all of the comforts that would come with that, to step into frail humanity, even infancy in His mission to rescue. He was born 
to die so that we might live. And the extent of Christ's descent here is matched only by grace that we find in him. I love that the song says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. I think there's a passage of scripture in the New Testament that encapsulates what Christ did when he came here. You do not have to turn there if you do not want to, but I want to read to us for just a moment Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 6. Speaking of Jesus says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself in verse number 7. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse number 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Jesus, in his humanity and deity, came to earth to fix once and for all the problem of sin. Dear church, this is the message of Christ, the message that we have. This is the gospel. We were doomed. We were doomed without Christ. But now we can be saved. All of our sin washed away. White as snow. Having the righteousness of Christ upon us. Because of his sacrifice. That. That's the good news. That's the great joy of Christmas. That it's for all people. It's only found though in Christ. It's only found in Christ. So the third thing I want us to see this morning is that the gospel message still needs to be proclaimed. The gospel still needs to go forth. I want us to jump back for just a moment to the shepherds. As we're about to close here in just a few. I tried to imagine as I was penning the words to say this morning, what it would be like to come upon the manger. In that very moment of time, I love that the text says that they came with haste. They didn't stop. They immediately responded to the words of God. We've talked about that over and over and over again for the last 10 months that I have been here. About how all throughout scripture when God's word was spoken there was an immediate response that occurred. And the shepherds no less responded immediately. They made haste to go see this babe laying in the manger. And I imagine for just a moment as they walk up and they see animals laying there. They see Jesus wrapped in these clothes that they they don't even know are clean probably. 
There's probably animal feces. It probably smells. It's cold. I can imagine just for a moment walking into this place and seeing this baby laying here. The one who was to come to save us. And if you remember in scripture, there was a decree that was put out for them to find Jesus so that he would be killed by Herod. So that this this savior wouldn't come into the world. I imagine though that it may have been a little bit awkward for these shepherds. A little awkward that they saw an angel. A little awkward that they're standing in the presence of Mary and Joseph. Maybe even a little bit scary, but nonetheless, those shepherds made him known abroad. The shepherds spoke the gospel. They proclaimed, just like the angels did. Do you know, no one else got to see those angels except for the shepherds. No one else got to see God's heavenly light show. The message carried on through a bunch of unlikely messengers. These men, just like us, had their issues. They were sinners. They were far from perfect. But there is something that we need to know, church. Christian, believer, follower of God. The message of the gospel must still come through the mouths of normal, everyday people whose lives have been changed by that gospel. I love, love what Paul said in the book of 2 Corinthians. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But this is my favorite part of that passage. Paul goes on to say that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In us, we have that treasure in us that is the excellency of the power that may be of God, not of ourselves. From the moment of salvation, you are given the Holy Spirit. And that means that you have Christ inside of you. In this broken vessel, in this jar of clay, we have Christ. We have the power of God within us to proclaim truth, to tell people about salvation so that they can find hope. Yes, the messengers have flaws, but the message is flawless, no doubt. God has placed in us earthen vessels, a precious treasure, church. Jesus, Jesus. Do you know those of us who have him, we're like the shepherds. We want to share him. We want to herald the news, to yell it loud. Church, there's there's really just three things I want to challenge you with this morning as we close. We, We see the good news of Christmas. We see the great joy of Christ's coming. We see that the gospel message still needs to be proclaimed. 
there's three challenges. They're, they're going to quickly come to the screen. I'm not going to linger here. But I'm going to challenge you something after I give you these three. I'm going to challenge you to get out of your seats, to come to this altar, and to dedicate your life to living out these three words. The first one is this, church. The first one is the word listen. Hark means to listen. Hark to what Scripture is saying. Hear, hear God's voice speaking to you today through this flawed messenger. Hear it through, through me. Hear it. Listen. The second one is learn. Learn. Heed. If the angels... When you guys are done writing, I want you guys to hear a, a question. If the angels and the shepherds obeyed, what is stopping us? If the angels and the shepherds obeyed, what is stopping us? Heed. And the last one is love. Hail. You know where we get our word worship from and what we worship is the call and the cry of Christmas. I found in my little 32 years of life, 13 years of ministry, that there is only one who is worthy of praise. And it is not me. It is not my wife. It's not my children. It's Christ. Church, we have an opportunity in this place as we enter into these last few weeks of the month of December to learn, to listen, to love. There are probably people in your family right now who need you to listen, who need you to learn, who need you to love. There are probably people in your family or your friend circle that need to see Christ this Christmas. There are probably people that you run into at Walmart or Meyer or Goodwill or Aldi or Menards or your workplace that need Christ this Christmas. Over the last eight days, I've done two funerals. Both men who were believers, but had packed churches. That if statistics are correct, three quarters of those people are not on their way to heaven. I had an opportunity yesterday to sit with a family who was completely broken after having lost two loved ones in less than 30 days. And they had no hope. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know who to turn to. And though the man whose funeral I did yesterday was a believer, and though he went to church, and though he read his Bible, he never shared the gospel with his grandkids. He never talked about Jesus. To anyone. 
Am I condemning him for that? No, but we are alive still to this day. And while we have breath in these lungs, church, we are called to share the gospel with people. And Christmas is the perfect time to do it. People are hurting and they want to know that there's someone who can give them peace right now. So church, will you get out of your seat this morning and come to this altar and commit to listen, to learn, and to love for the sake of God's kingdom going forth? Who's, who's first? Who's going to get out of their seat first and come to commit? I'll do it. Who's going to come with me? Who's going to come with me to the altar?